to Welcome to Drill to Detail, and I'm your host, Mark Ripman. So I'm joined today by two very special guests, one of whom is a long-term friend of the show, Stuart Bryson. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Mark. Anytime. I'm also joined today by none other than Drew Bannon from Fishtone Analytics. So Drew, it's great to have you on the show for the first time. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. So Stuart, for anybody that doesn't know you, um, just maybe uh, just tell us what you do, who you are, and uh, I suppose how we know each other. Yeah, certainly. So we were colleagues once upon a time. And then for a brief time, we were uh, competitors. Um, and I wouldn't call us that today, although we work in the same area. Um, it's, it's, it's a very you know, collaborative uh, relationship our companies have. I'm the, I'm the CEO and founder of Red Pill Analytics. We are a analytics and, and data company, I like to say that. We build uh, systems for customers, usually using modern cloud technologies. And uh, we, we try to, to help customers migrate. A lot of our customers are, are legacy um, customers, you know, having old legacy tools. Some of the ones we worked on together, Mark, back in the day, taking those customers to new, um, easier to use cloud native technologies and uh, h- helping them find uh, value in, in what the cloud provides. So consulting company and a services company, primarily Red Pill. And we're going to talk about DBT today from Fishtown, and, and we're a partner of DBT and use it on most of our projects. At least, you know, we recommend it on most of our projects. Okay. So, Drew, I mean, Drew, it's your first time on the show. We've had your uh, colleague uh, Tristan on before, but just tell us what you do at, um, at Fishtown. And I suppose in a way, how did you get there? What's your, what's your background, really? Sure thing. Uh, I'm one of the maintainers of DBT, which is the open source product that uh, we create at Fishtown Analytics. So uh, DBT is used by, I think, our latest metrics are like 1,700 uh, companies every week. Um, it's really taking off in the data modeling space. And a lot of us are kind of collaborative, collaboratively thinking through the, the best way to d- model data and perform analytics uh, kind of at scale. Um, so the way we got here is um, Tristan, Connor, and I, the three co-founders of Fishtown Analytics, used to work at a company called RJ Metrics together, based in Philadelphia. And uh, RJ Metrics was a leading BI tool uh, back in the day, and, and sort of with the advent of data warehouses like Redshift and Snowflake and BigQuery, um, the industry started changing from a sort of all-in-one type of BI tool to a composition of different best-in-class tools. And so what we found was um, different tools popped up, like Stitch Data spun out of RJ Metrics, for instance. There's also Fivetran in the ETL space. Um, they do the data ingestion part. There's data warehouses that are phenomenal at storing and querying data. There are many great BI tools as well. And um, sort of in about 2016, summer of 2016, um, Tristan and I really identified that there was this big glaring hole in the data pipeline. Uh, the, the data stack that goes from a data loader to the data warehouse to the BI tool, we were missing a modeling layer. And so we started building DBT initially to just create uh, views stacked on top of views on Redshift. And it's really uh, grown pretty significantly from there. So Stuart and I um, have talked, I suppose, quite a bit really on this show in the past about some of the projects we've been doing with technologies like DBT, but also things like Looker and Segment and, and Redshift and BigQuery and so on. Um, 
And, you know, they're typically, or certainly the early adopters of those have been what you might call kind of startup companies or, or companies that, that, that in a way get the whole modern data stack and, and, and the techniques and tools around that. I mean, Stuart, just give us a flavor of, of, of some of the pod, kind of the companies in that space that you've been working with around, you know, with tools like DBT and the modern stack tools that we've been talking about. Yeah, certainly. So it usually begins, and, and Drew set this up nicely, it usually begins with a cloud data warehouse. I think that just the, uh, this whole discussion, uh, I think, um, is enabled by the, the new cloud data warehouses. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about agile tools, um, uh, data pipelines, uh, data pipelining and modeling just in time the way we are today without that. So, you know, Snowflake, Redshift, BigQuery, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, you know, with those cloud data warehouses, it, it, it really enables a whole, not just, you know, faster performance and um, better integration in, in the cloud. It's also just about the agility with which we can move. And I think we were, we had all these constraints. They were almost like weights on us from these legacy tools. And once we sort of shed those and started ingesting our data into these cloud data warehouses, Fivetran we're a partner of. We use Fivetran on most of our projects. Um, for those, uh, you know, sources where Fivetran hasn't enabled us, we, we use a collection of other things. Sometimes that's custom, custom uh, you know, code using APIs from the cloud services layer. Uh, sometimes there are things like stream sets, um, other technologies that can enable data to be ingested. But once it gets there, um, now is the place where DBT can kind of take over. So DBT kind of provides that glue between this ingestion layer, which is possible from a lot of modern technologies, a data warehouse. And of course, downstream from that is um, hopefully some sort of a more modern analytics tool, something like Looker, um, something like uh, even Data Studio or QuickSight and Amazon, things like Mode. Uh, yeah, I would even put Power BI in there. So Drew's exactly right that there was sort of this missing uh, step that we needed. And I think that DBT really fills that gap nicely. So Drew, um, Fish Analytics took a decision um, to focus on a certain type of customer when you, uh, when you started the business and, and you've kept that focus. Um, so why did you focus on those types of customer for DBT and for the sort of things you were doing? It's a really good question. Um, in the early days of building DBT, we worked with, as many clients as we could in as many different sort of diverse environments that we could find. Um, we had a, a consulting contract that we signed with, with all these clients that made it very easy to get started and uh, sort of step into the, uh, the fire, if you will, and um, figure out how to make DBT work really well in that environment. And we certainly like learned a whole lot uh, very quickly in the first you know, six months or a year of, of delivering analytics consulting with DBT. And I think that the, the product that DBT is today is a function of that experience where we very early got to see concrete use cases and the types of things that are very similar between different deployments of DBT or the things that vary wildly um, between different deployments. And we got to sort of like code for those different um, use cases and similarities and differences uh, in a way that you can still see today in, in the product. So I think the one thing to say there is Historically, we did a lot more consulting than we really do these days. Um, we bootstrapped initially and we make open source software. Uh, we in fact didn't have a hosted product that you could pay for until uh, years into our existence. 
Um, and so consulting was how we um, paid the bills and got really good feedback to playing DBT in different environments. But as DBT's taken off, we've really shifted as an organization to being a lot more of a product company. And these days, our, our primary focus is uh, building DBT and delivering great services to, say, DBT cloud clients on top of it. Okay, but but I guess the question I, w- I was really interested in there, w- w- as well as what you just said there, was the focus you had on on VC funded companies. So so yeah, that that for me was yeah. How much was DBT a function of those of the companies you were you were working with, and that's what they needed, or was it the other way around? So so why was DBT a success with with those types of companies? Sure, um, I lived in New York City for uh, almost the first year of of Fishtown Analytics, and. I just remember taking the the subway up and down Manhattan and I would see DBT users in the subway advertisements. And I think it was a function of when you got to a VC stage as a company, the number of tools that you started using exploded and the amount of reporting that you needed to do similarly exploded. In fact, Tristan uses the term uh, Cambrian explosion to, to <laughs> talk about things like this, where it was really just like, it's a uh, new era for a lot of these companies. And, and that's really where the need for DBT presents itself. So um, if you have all, all your analytics being conducted on top of a transactional database and um, you've got like two reports that you look at once a week, like you don't need a very complicated data stack. Um, I would even say like, I think DBT is still an appropriate tool to use there, but I don't think it's like a must have in, in that environment. Um, it's when you start growing these things and you care a lot more about consistency and different types of reporting and you have this uh, plurality of different uh, data sources that you're reporting on and, and different types of um, operational and analytical needs at the other end on the, on the BI and analytics and data science side, um, that's really when it becomes so obvious that it's a problem that, that you are doing the data modeling. If, like, say if you don't use a tool like DBT, you're still modeling data, you're just doing it in the biz layer, and that's where like, discrepancies arise. Um, so we, um, we targeted those companies just because it was... Um, these companies had the, the problem that DBT helps you solve. And um, we sort of knew how to work with them. They were very happy to work with a small team um, that could like kind of deliver services to them in an agile way. Um, nice. Okay. Stuart, did you find that, that it, was, it was that type of company that was initially interested in DBT and those tools from, from your side as well? Absolutely. I mean, I think Drew's point about getting to that venture funded uh, area is when you start having some money to spend on tools, but also that becomes your analytics requirements increase because now you have to report to people on your progress and your success. And, and I think there's an analytics requirement there that, that introduces itself when a company accepts some venture money, right? Suddenly you have to start reporting to a, to a broader audience with consistency. Um, We've seen that with, Startups, we I'd say we're like fifty percent of our fifty percent of our business right now is startups, and the other fifty percent is you know legacy. I won't say legacy, but traditional big companies, Fortune one hundred, Fortune three hundred, and it's certainly when you look at DBT, it's perfect. And, and I think we're going to talk later about how it's good mm-hmm. for the other uh, environments as well. But that startup company still has that agile. Um, idea about how to do projects with the money to spend on good tools. And I think when we start to look at like how that compares to say traditional big companies, they have the budgets, but they're usually sort of 
being dragged down by older processes, slower, um, slower, we'll say project um, methodologies, those that are sort of tied to older tools. And those are the ones that are, that are interesting to try to change the culture. I don't think you have to change the culture to use tools like DBT in a startup. Okay. Okay. So really what I wanted to talk about in this, in this episode really was, was it was to sort of build on that. So two things really. So first of all, something I've been finding on projects I've been working on um, and Stuart, you may, you know, you may recognize the same thing as well is, is that, you know, is the, I suppose the price of success it's as you, as you engage for longer with customers and those customers themselves grow, um, then the complexity of the projects gets more. Okay. So you start to get exponentially more complex, um, I suppose, problems to solve in terms of integrating source A and source B and source C, where there's been no upfront, I suppose, setting up of a, say, a customer hub or a product hub or, a, or anything to sort of say, this is the definitive source of information for the company. Um, and there's also, yeah, I suppose, the complexity in terms of um, data quality. So one of the things that I, I find with startup type companies is they've not yet had, the deal, had to deal with, I suppose, the issues around data quality and and the issues, the challenges around um, a single sort of version of the truth. Um, and so, really, wanted, first of all, I wanted to get your thoughts on on both, you know, from the product side and from the consulting side on how do you scale modern data stack projects as the company grows, the complexity grows. And the other side of this, I want to talk about later on, is how can we take some of these these tools and techniques, particularly DBT into enterprise companies where they already may have solved some of the issues around data quality, but they've got issues around say velocity of the project, of the project or agility or things like that really. Um, but let's start off really with this issue around complexity. So Stuart, first of all, do you, have you, have you noticed this as well as, as you engage for longer with a customer and you know, you might start with say DBT or, or Looker or whatever and a very agile project, but as you start to scale it, you start to hit issues around complexity. Absolutely. And um, the interesting thing is that when you look at traditional ETL tools, and I'm thinking Informatica, Oracle Data Integrator, um, the like, right? They always had capabilities and add-ons to tr- do some of this. They had data quality add-ins. They had, um, you know, sort of um, master data management add-ons. You could buy these things and they tried to outside of the transformation layer, you could bolt on, these um, add-ons to try to handle this. And what we saw mostly with customer after customer is that those utilities or those add-ons were almost never used. Um, And a big part of why they were never used is because they weren't ingested into the data transformation process themselves. They sat outside of it. They tried to feed a data transformation process. They tried to ingest a data transformation process um, and it just never worked well. And so I think what, what I saw over those years, Mark, and you might have a, a different uh, perspective on this, is that we were doing the master data management and the data quality in the ETL tool anyway. And what that meant was we were using ETL to do data quality and we were using ETL to do data governance. And so I think that not much has changed in that area when you approach it with DBT. The one difference being, I think, the ability to, to be more agile with pure SQL-based transformations. That's the other thing that's just really brilliant about DBT is it's just SQL. It makes no apologies for that. 
And this is the language that um, I find that almost everyone I work with knows. And when they don't know it, it's maybe one of the easier languages to learn. So I think the idea of doing data quality and, and governance and master data management, these things in SQL makes a whole lot of sense and doing it in the overall uh, directed acyclic graph, the overall graph of dependencies. I think what's not perhaps clear in the tool, and I would argue it wasn't necessarily clear in the earlier tools, is you know, where is the data quality in your DAG? And I think with the appropriate model structure and with the appropriate sort of, you can document in DBT with the schema.yaml file, when you, and, and then you also have these tests that you can build in. So I've never seen an ETL tool or a data engineering tool with tests built in like this. So I think there's not necessarily a user guide or that tells you, um, here's where you stick your data quality, here's where you stick your uh, governance, your master data management, but the tool certainly can support those approaches. I think you just, um, you just use the tool for what the tool does, which is SQL-based transformations, and then you need a project structure in such a way that, um, that dictates the data quality and what we think of traditional data quality and you know, cleaning the data first goes here. And then next um, in the folder or the model structure is, you know, this is where we'll start to imbue this with our opinions about uh, logic and transformations. And then down this step is where we'll start to perhaps define some things for master data management, et cetera. So I think the tool certainly supports it but there's no screen that says, okay, insert data quality here. But again, uh, to, sorry to, to reiterate, but I just don't think those were used in the older tools anyway. True. Is this a problem you're trying to solve from a product perspective? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because it, it varies tremendously by organization and, and the types of problems that folks are solving with DBT. And, you know, when I think about DBT, I'm, these days think of it more as like a like a compiler like a like a sql generating and running engine where we want to give tools to these analysts who use dbt to create the project that they need for their circumstances we want to be a little bit less prescriptive about exactly how you should structure your project although Stuart, i think your example is the canonical structure uh we talk about like staging your raw data and then sort of doing more advanced uh combinations of the data on top of it so um, sure, Stuart, I think you're right to identify things like documentation and DVT's um, data testing. I think there are some, um, some areas of the product where we're, we're not totally serving testing needs today, and it's sort of a function of the, the space we're operating in. So maybe the context I can give here is um, when we think about how DVT should solve some given problem, we always like to do the thought exercise of relating it back to how software engineers solve similar problems. Because uh, if we have any good ideas here, it's, it's uh, things we've learned from software engineering best principles, right? Like you want to version control your code, do code review, add automated testing, things like that. And so one of the things we're missing, for instance, is like a notion of uh, unit testing. So this is maybe a slightly different type of testing than what DBT currently supports, but I think it would go a long way to giving folks assurance that their data transformations are correct. Um, 
So I think there's an opportunity to take the, the core DBT compiler and sort of give you new interfaces for generating and running SQL that, that can assert that your data in transformations do what they're supposed to do. Do you think that so? Do you think that there needs to be a, a methodology or um, a bit more prescriptive approach with how we do projects in this area? Because one of the things that I find is going back to the complexity thing as well. People, if you're thinking about what I suppose a common thing with the with the SaaS applications that we use as data sources now is they often several of them will be a source of, of customers. And uh, there'll also be financial data, there'll be product data, there's no, but there's no one single authoritative source of this information. Whereas in the old ERP systems we used to work with, there would be a one single customer table. Um, and do you, I mean, do you find, Drew, that, that from the telemetry you get and the, and the feedback you get, that, custom, that, that use developers of DBT now, they, they would have, at what point does it become an overly complex job to bring in the third source, the third source, the fourth source, and then to try and think about maybe kind of the life cycle of data and so on. These sound like boring old man sort of things, but but you know, any 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 kind of business is going to have that as an issue as they go along. And I, I wonder, maybe this is a question about how far the product goes and what's out of scope and what's in scope. But you know, what are your thoughts on that, really? Sure. So I think taking a, a few steps back from that as a starting point, mm. the, one of the good things about DBT and the approach it sort of forces you into is that it does compel you to make small discrete changes that get version controlled and shipped. And uh, the reason I say that is because frequently you don't start with four different sources of truth of what mm. user is, you add mm. them over time. Mm. Um, and so the, the thing that needs to be in your head when you're writing these data models is like, what are sort of the universes of things that we might need to address or change here in the future. And so it really starts, you know, with, with uh, user identity number one, um, mm. whether or not you set yourself up for success to have two, three, four. And um, it's not the most uh, fun problem to kind of stitch all these identities together in a way that's sensible mm. and uh, easy to um, debug if things go wrong or explain to your mm. colleagues when they're saying things that, that are surprising. Um, but no, ultimately, I think the way that we solve that is, again, it's very similar to the way that software engineers solve this. Um, mm. Sure, there are, there are libraries that do sort of specific things uh, that, that sort of automate that away from you. But mm. in a lot of cases, you solve this with um, what you would call a design pattern. And mm. so it's sort of a, a template for a pattern recognition where it's, um, I have this problem and a good way to solve it is this solution. So we thought a lot about design patterns in the early days. And there's actually uh, a decent book called SQL Design Patterns that has, it's like pretty dated anymore, I think, but um, I enjoyed reading it. We, to this end, have cooked up a playbook recently that talks yeah. about how to do um, user attribution. And Mark, I think you actually published a, a similar type of article mm. not so long ago mm. too, right? Yeah. And so it's this kind of thing where it's it's hard to solve these problems for the first time, but it's so rare anymore that any one organization is solving a problem that's totally unique to them. I think what we need to kind of do more of is um, get people talking about and writing about how they solve the problems that, that they're running into and uh, sort of helping advance the whole field so that we have a, a sort of template for how to approach these problems. So Stuart, I described you once as the Karl Marx of uh, agile methodologies. So is this arguably really about agile methodologies and how do you have a design while still being agile? I think so. Um, 
So I know in the, in the old world, we would buy additional tools to do some of these things, right? You can imagine, um, you know, if you're using an ETL, I know Informatica sold these, right? Informatica mm -hmm. sold these master data management add-ons where you could map your, your source tables and it would give you uh, a product table, right? As, a, as an output. And, and I can tell you that from experience, most customers uh, rewrote that. Um, any of these add-ons I've seen over the years that try to deliver something to a transformation layer, a customer table, usually performed pretty poorly. Uh, they often weren't SQL, batch SQL based. So I do think that it's something that should be solved in SQL. I think mm -hmm. that trying to, to write an application that may I know, use, use array-based processing or whatever, I think it should be solved in SQL. And frankly, I think it's a problem that is just another version of a data transformation problem that needs to be solved. So I believe it should be solved in DBT in the way that we solve other problems. I could see somebody writing a module. You know, DBT has the concept of a module, which is reusable code that, that everyone doesn't have to, um, you know, rewrite from scratch. So I could imagine some, it certainly has support for, if someone, whoever that person might be, decided to write sort of a customer um, module, a product module. And I know there's some companies out there doing things like this. So I think that I, I truly believe that it, it belongs in SQL. And I think Drew's point about the software development lifecycle, um, here's the thing. It's like all these products we used in the past, Mark, they built data, ETL products, and they built them using SDLC. They, they used version control. They used feature branch development. They did uh, CI and CD. But then they were delivering a product that they didn't think should be used in that way. They didn't think the, the, the audience for their product were developers um, in whatever term that means. And I think the idea that, as Drew mentioned, version control, small changes, being able to go back and look at patterns collaboratively, um, you know, um, collaboratively solving these patterns of finding a single customer it, it, or a single product it is one that belongs in the tool. I think that the, the rigor, going back to the agile question, you know, it's, it's a question of how do you inject rigor into a process uh, for the first time? And I think the problem with non-agile projects is they, they inject rigor at the beginning when it's not needed. I think what DBT really is challenging for the enterprise, but in a good way, in that it causes, it causes the enterprise to, to rethink the way they've, they've traditionally built data warehouses. And that is that they were modeled first with often a whole lot of um, design and thought uh, before anybody started to think about what the DDL would look like and what the data load process would look like. Spending a lot of time there. And then you would go back and, and build a data inter integration process to then load that target. And I think that the, in the design process of building that perfect model was usually a whole lot of SQL. We were, um, that data architect was, was usually SQL literate and they were, querying databases to figure out, you know, what's the granularity of this and what's the granularity of that and how would these things ultimately join. But then they were stepping away from SQL and they were building a document or writing a document that, that defined that model. And then they would hand it over to ETL developers and say, now load this model.
I think what's interesting about DBT, and I would say preferred, and I would even say, you know, optimal about the design process is instead of modeling to a target, you're slowly building a target step by step. And Mark, if you think about where Oracle Data Integrator came from with Synopsys and that whole concept of interfaces, we may lose the entire audience here, but uh, stick with me. That they had that idea as well, that you would build a data integration process, an interface at a time, as they called it. And you focus on that, that, that first join, that first pattern, that first um, combination of, of data sets, and then solve it and then go on to the next step. And I think the idea that you, that you will, that the model will evolve is the thing that, um, frankly, we're, we're having to convince the enterprise to do. But I think it's valuable. I think it's more optimal anyway. And I think it's really the way we think about it anyway. But on that point, before I hand over to Drew, I think there is, although on projects, my, 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 the bane of my life was the enterprise architect and the enterprise architecture team who, who, would, who would kind of pedantically pick through the design I've got and, and say this entity here isn't right and so on. But it, it, at least it joined up in the end and, and they would have, there would be a central kind of thought process around, around, around that thing. Now, so I suppose really to Drew, um, the point you're trying to make, I think as well, Stuart, is, is it's, a, it's, it's, it's the opposite way around to, way, to the agile way in which we've been developing stuff in DBT. Um, you know, Drew, what's, what's your experience been with, with working with, with enterprise accounts? And do they have the same problems to solve that, that smaller companies do? And do they, are they changing the way in which they model these things and think about things? Or is that influencing some of the design for DBT going forward? Sure. So I think ultimately the problems that the very large companies and the very small companies out there using DBT are encountering are, are more similar than they are different. Um, there are some key differences um, that I'd be happy to talk about that, that do sort of inform maybe some product changes we'd want to make in the future. But uh, for the most part, they're just like Stuart said, um, they're sort of solving these problems a little bit more iteratively and they're doing it in SQL. And the fact that it's in SQL means that uh, different folks within the organization can better collaborate on top of um, this DBT project, this, these data models that they're, they're building. Um, so in, in that way, the, it's a lot more similar with the kind of workflows we see at very large companies um, than it is different to very small ones. But I'll give you an example of a thing that does differ. Um, we find that a lot of large companies don't love the idea of running their DBT tests on production data. They have much stricter security requirements. They... Um, they have whole security teams. I always think it's fascinating. They have security teams that are larger than our engineering team building DBT. Um, and that's fair and appropriate for, for where they are. And um, what that means is some of our key axioms that we kind of operate from in DBT um, get tested a little bit. So we, what we see a lot more of is totally different dev and uh, CI test and production data sets that different folks have different levels of access to. In some cases, it means that no individual person actually has permission to run the entire set of data transformations required because it's actually three different groups of people with, with different configured roles. So um, these things all still work well in a DBT capacity. You can sort of structure things in a nice way at a project level and everything, the projects kind of blend together. But there's a lot of work that we can do to make it work better in these environments and we're interested in prioritizing that work 
Um, I'm curious uh, if I can jump in, Mark. I'm curious, like, what are some of those things you're thinking about adding? Um, is it too soon, or can you talk about like what it would look like in the tool, or what you're thinking about adding? Sure. It's all about blending these uh, directed acyclic graphs DAGs together, and so you might have a DAG that's managed by, let's just say, the marketing team, and a DAG that's managed by, um, just say, HR. And so it's always like sensitive data. Um, analysts focus on HR. And so they're going to have their own separate DAGs, but you still want to combine these things at the very end to build like a holistic view of documentation. Absolutely. Maybe they both pull from some base project that provides sort of like common utility models and macros. And so being able to have different projects that depend on each other and uh, making it easier to only run the models that you actually want to run as a part of a given development workflow mm -hmm. or deploy them in production, only run some of them. Um, you can do all this today. It's just uh, not naturally supported, you're kind of fighting against DBT to do it in some cases. I can add something to that, Mark, if you don't mind. Mm. Um, I just had a call with a customer. Uh, the days are blending, so I don't know if it was today or yesterday, where we're introducing DBT. And their question was very much, this, this, this feature, Drew, would, would, would go a long way in that, so they, they had the development team on. It was a big Zoom, by the way, large screen. They had the development team on, they had the data architects on, but then they also had representatives from the operations team. And in, in big organizations, there are teams that all they do is make sure uh, that, the that the loads are running and not failing. And they were asking about rerunability. And um, yes, it's possible. I can go into the DBT tool. Uh, I can pass a model statement and run just a, a portion of the model. And, uh, you know, frankly, he said, we're not going to check out any Git repos. So, so that's not what our team does. So what's next? And I said, well, there's a REST API. You can, you can use a curl command uh, next. Um, and then, so I started talking about, well, you, you know, in DBT Cloud, which they're, they're uh, thinking about DBT Cloud, you can build jobs and you can create jobs. And I think that the ability for, for you to have um, almost an operations pain it's not, the, it's not the, the, the load and it's not the CICD load, but it's almost a, an operations view of this, which if you did have separate graphs in the way you're describing, maybe you would have almost a, a job that's just a, a, a pain that's designed almost completely for management and rerunning of failed jobs. I think that would go a long way. Is that, is that on the roadmap, uh, Drew? Is that something that I've been thinking about? So... Let me, let me say one thing on this topic. One of the key de design constraints we've placed upon ourselves that has been most helpful uh, for folks running DBT is that every DBT job should be indefinite. And so in the worst case, you can just hit the rerun, bod rerun job button. And if the thing that failed was transient in nature, if just rerunning the same code will fix it, that'll get you to a good place. And then there's sort of a fork in the road, right? So on the one hand, that will only fix some types of problems. It's like a network flip or the database did something funny. You know, we see that sometimes for sure. But um, most failures aren't in that class of failure from what we're seeing. It's like a logic error or the data changed out from under you in a way that you weren't expecting in your data transformations. And so I think it's a compelling idea giving you more tools to sort of rerun parts of a job, like rerun from failed is a common thing to see in a sort of CI tool like circle ci has this functionality for their workflows um i can totally imagine that and i i do 
I do want to optimize DBT Cloud for being accessible to different types of people. It fundamentally is like a user interface over DBT Core. So this is a really good candidate mm -hmm. feature. Um, but I, I do think what it kind of requires us to do is maybe think harder about the different ways that a run can fail and understand like, mm -hmm. okay, based on this, this failure, what are the set of actions that are even sensible to, to try to do again? And maybe get some more understanding of like, do you really want to run this thing again? Or is like, I'll give you an example. Not every DBT job necessarily in DBT Cloud is fully adempotent. You could have an operation that does something not adempotent where you wouldn't want to do it twice. That's like not a best practice. You shouldn't do it. But um, I think that's one case where we want to have more information in DBT to help guide users to do the, the right thing um, in, in case of failure. Uh, actually, on that on, on, a, on a related point, something I've always been interested in is RJ Metrics. You know, you you, you obviously um, have this kind of history in there, and and RJ Metrics, in a way, it, it it solved that it sort of solved that problem, didn't it? But 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 then, obviously, when you went to form Fishtown and do DBT, you consciously chose not to build another another RJ Metrics. You, you've chosen, I suppose, to make um, DBT a kit car, a sports car, rather than a coach with. Um, with every feature in it and everything else. Is that a choice? Is that, is that a conscious choice? Um, if, if it is a conscious choice, it's guided by, I think the, what's called the Unix philosophy, which mm. is that tools should do one thing and do them well and be composable. Mm. There's too many problems out there to try to solve all of them in, in one tool. And mm. so we, um, we aggressively focus on our goal, which is helping folks model their data and document and test and provide a workflow around it. Maybe the one thing I do want to say there is this is where the distinction between core and cloud comes yeah. up. And it's, it's an important one that everyone's really well aligned on what goes mm. where. So for us, DBT core is it's open source Apache 2 licensed. Mm. That's the thing that compiles and runs SQL. We at no point are interested in creating functionality in DBT cloud that you have to pay for that mm. does like core compilation or SQL mm. running, that's all going to be open source. And the thing we, mm. we're primarily building in DBT Cloud are things like um, permissioning, mm. single sign-on, and otherwise user interfaces and job scheduling. So sort of stateful things that, you know, they require a persistence layer. Uh, we'll build those things in the cloud. And so this kind of thing we're talking about here, Stuart, it's, it's an interesting one where you kind of, when you think of a feature, you think like, where does it go? Is it core mm. or is it cloud? And in this case, it sounds like it's, that's a core thing. We wanted to have DBT, we want to give DBT core the ability to say like, I just ran this command, these models failed, rerun from failures. And, uh, and then we provide the UI inside of DBT cloud to let you tap into that. I do want to be clear about one thing, which is I don't want to go back to uh, the orchestration from the old tools. I'm very happy with DAG-based execution. I think if you look at when we used to build in old tools, we would build mappings, right? That is uh, what you would think about for a model, right? And maybe in these old tools, it would be a couple of models in DBT. But then you would go and in, in, in usually a different tool or at least a different area of the tool, you would go and glue these things together with... Uh, um, orchestration layers. And it was usually sets of serialized or parallelized processes going down the way. And what, what I don't want to do is go back to that necessarily in that um, you would spend 50% of your time. That's a rough estimate on the orchestration layer. That's 50% that's gone in DBT. I don't have to do that. I don't have to. And by the way, when I'm working on one small piece of something, in the old tools, we typically were only working on that one piece and only testing that one piece while we were working on it. 
So from a unit test perspective, I get where you're going, Drew, but it's kind of there in a DBT run, right? Assuming I'm in a data set that's mine, and that's what happens in BigQuery, and, and you're, you're in your own, and DBT Cloud makes that uh, simple. You're in your own data set, so you're not disrupting anyone. And the fact that I can do DBT run when I'm working on some small piece of it, that it runs the entire DAG, is kind of like a, a unit, or I would almost say a regression test um, that's, that's easily available to the uh, developer that's focusing on something small. So I think that that's uh, you, you know, better than the older tools. So I don't wanna go back to heavy handed orchestration, but I do think that if, I, I, I'm kind of on the fence with you on this on where it goes, but I, I could clearly see if, if you're adding multiple DAGs, we still have the ability to run just a small portion of the model with includes and excludes and all that. If perhaps in DBT cloud is where this would belong in such a way that instead of me having to type that with a DBT command, there's some way in the UI that I could say, you know, that could help me maybe even from the lineage documentation, you know, zero in, maybe even lasso a section. So I'm just, I'm shooting for the sky here. Lasso a section and say, run that. That would be really, really cool. There you go. Um, so I'm conscious of time and there's one last thing I want to talk about, not, not, not quite in so much depth, but it, I think it's, it's very relevant. So I suppose the, the, the central, I mean, telling Drew here about his own company and his own philosophy, but the central philosophy with, with, with Fishtown and a lot of this is, is, is um, analytics being a, a branch of engineering and um, the, modern, uh, the modern kind of analytic workflow and, and so on there. How far do you how far do you think do you see that gets in enterprise companies, um, Drew? Uh, is it just the believers, or is this something you find gets take up um, beyond um, the small core people that bring you in? It's a it's a novel concept to some of the folks we interact with at, at larger companies um, that they are in fact uh, doing, you know, something that looks more like engineering than not. Mm. Um, they're not familiar with thinking of themselves as is um, operating that role and they're certainly not familiar with a lot of the tools in some cases. Uh, this is a big part of why we built an integrated developer environment in dbt cloud. Um, I think a lot of people rightfully so balked at the idea of pip installing dbt on windows and then figuring out how to use git in order to run their first model. Um, so what I what I do see is that this is pretty constant at these larger companies that are using DBT, there's always a champion somewhere mm-hmm. of the, um, much more so even in the software, it's the mindset. Um, they think that that's the thing that they need to do to um, operate at the level of their interest in mm-hmm. operating at. Um, and they understand how, you know, version control and code view and CICD obviates whole classes of problems that they uh, weren't solving particularly well before even. And so I think that um, that's invariant, that there's there's somebody there on on the customer's end, I guess. I even want to say the user's end. Not all these people are, are DBT Cloud customers. There's mm-hmm. open source users out there for sure. Um, uh, on all these users' ends, there's, there's somebody who really gets it and is able to, um, I need to find better words for this, but I want to say preach the gospel, if you will, to the other folks in their organization where, they can sort of understand the benefits, even though it is very new. And it, certainly there's a lot to learn up front as well. So Stuart, I think you've always been a very um, credible person talking to 
enterprise customers about new techniques and technologies. So, so what tips have you got around getting take up of this within enterprise customers and um, what works and what doesn't work and, and where's the interest you find? So I, I definitely agree with the, with the champion um, concept, Drew. I, we, we see that and I'll come back to that in just a minute. But in general, we sort of have a, a triage process. It's almost like a flow chart. And when we start talking to customers, perhaps they, they're like, tell us what to do. And we have a lot of that. We have strategy engagements where they know there's a lot of possibility out there in a new world. And they're trying to think about how to, how to get started. And they know that we can help them. We sort of have a first question in the flow chart is a graphical click and drag UI, an absolute must. And we, we have some customers that are on the fence there. Tell us more. We have some customers that are like, Look, we hate that anyway. We wish we weren't using it. And then we have some customers that are like, absolutely, of course, how else would you do it? And I think when we have that latter section, we might introduce the concept. We'll start with CICD and configuration as code and talk about all the value there. Uh, automated testing, automated building and testing and talk about those and see if there's any light in their eyes about any of that. And a lot of times with, with frankly, you know, for enterprise customers, there's absolutely no movement on any of those concepts. And we just sort of stop. Um, it's, not, it's not for them, right? Now, there's also the, the brand of customer on the other end of the spectrum that are like, yeah, we absolutely are tired of, we, they're, they're talking SDLC, or maybe they have got a new boss that said, everything has to be CICD, configuration is code, these things are important. Tell us how to do that. And that's great. The, the, but what we see more often than not is a champion, a couple of people that have seen the light. They are tired of not having testing. They're tired of um, struggling with graphical tools that can't generate the code they wanted to generate. They know how to write SQL. They can't get their tool to generate SQL. They know the value of uh, not just you know, committing code, but committing code often and merging code. They get all that. But they know or we discover along the way that we bump into these you know, operations people that are like, well, where's the audit table? And or operations people that are like, how can I tell my, um, you know, very, very unskilled, sorry, unskilled operator how to restart this DBT job? Um, how, where, where is the things like row level security and single sign on which, I, you know, I, I'm not minimizing those. They're important. So a lot of times these, champion, these champions know we're going to bump into some of this. And that's the challenging part when you've, got, when you've got a champion who knows the value of all these things, when they're looking at you to try to convey to their peers who don't know that why there's value. And I think we can always get a development team, not always, but we can usually get a development team signed, sealed, and delivered on building it this way and usually building it with DBT where we struggle is getting the rest of the organization that, that um, is also involved in owning the solution on board. So to that point in a way, Drew, what's the, what's the problem that you guys are trying to solve? Is it about making analytics, is it, is it about making an analytics, uh, an engineering um, profession, or is it, is it beyond that? I mean, what, what's the, the bigger problem you're trying to solve really? I think in Fishtown is a, is a question I think is, I'm interested in. Sure. Um, ultimately, we're 
we're on a mission here to elevate the analytics profession. Mm. Uh, we think that these are important professionals in any organization and uh, sort of as a function of the, the tooling and the tasks that they were um, uh, historically responsible for. Um, uh, okay, we think that, uh, um, we think. So we're on a mission here to um, elevate the analytics profession. So we think that these analysts are important members of their organizations and one of the things they were lacking historically was, was good tooling. Uh, there's an abundance of products that you can buy that solve point solutions uh, mm. that these analysts have, but there's kind of a dearth of uh, tools that they can use. And so with DBC, we're trying to give these people tools so that they can do higher leverage tasks. And uh, uh, everyone kind of has their own reasons for uh, caring about this. Uh, I know Tristan, um, he was an analyst uh, back in the day and. Uh, I think he's said a lot of spreadsheets um, over email in his day. And he realized that that was uh, maybe a low leverage use of his time in, in some ways. Um, for me, one of the things I point to is that you can't have a conversation about data in 2020 without talking about the misuse of data. Um, and so I think it's really important that we get these analysts in positions where they are in the room when people are talking about which data do we collect? What do we do with it? And so I think we can only really do that by uh, leveling them up from spreadsheet jockeys to people that have well-formed and well-considered thoughts on the data's organization, on the knowledge that the organization commands, you know? So that's my personal reason for being so interested in this problem. So ultimately, um, we're on a mission to empower analysts to create and disseminate this organizational knowledge. And uh, everyone cares about that for a different reason. That's my personal reason why. So, I mean, so that, that I think is interesting thing. So if you think about what I what think, the thing that, the thing that struck me about DBT and the thing that got me interested in it after my probably year or so of, of skepticism when Dick and Kristen kept talking about it all the time on the show um, was about the philosophy of, of making the repeatability and having a structure to what you're doing. And we, you know, Stuart and I both know that, that the ETL developer was the worst job on a project and the analysts were people who just kind of fiddle around with the numbers, came up with a number that looked roughly like they were looking for. There was no repeatability and, 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 and more times often than not, the number was wrong anyway. And, and so, and that's not our projects, by the way, that's projects that we came in and rescued. Um, but it's, it's, so it's about elevating that role really, isn't it? It's about, to, to analysts, it's about making their job, um, engineering is one part of it, but it's about repeatability and so on, and about scaling the impact of the knowledge and the insights and so on beyond that small team to the rest of the business really. And whether that involves the analysts in the company all using Git and, and whatever, or some other kind of variant of that. And that is, I think, a question for me is, is it realistic that people who are, um, in the finance department or in whatever department, you know, will they be using this? But I think the other thing to bear in mind is that not every enterprise customer is going to be some crusty old business that has got 500-year-old people in there using crappy versions of kind of crystal reports and so on. The next enterprise is, is Amazon. It's, it's companies like that. And so it's not an option to say we're just going to do it the old way. You've got to adopt these new techniques and, te and, and technologies and approaches. Um, and because the next enterprise, the next big customer will be Amazon and so on, really. Yeah, sure. So to, to me, that speaks to, um, it speaks to the, the tooling problem most. And this is mm -hmm. something Connor on my team talks about a ton. Uh, he talks about problems that you have to throw over the fence. And so mm -hmm. our hope was with DBT, we can take a lot of these problems that you had to wait for someone else to solve and make them problems mm -hmm. you can solve yourself. 
uh, do the good version of it once and not have to think too hard about it again in the future. That, that's a concept that holds true at small companies, large companies, old curmudgeonly uh, analysts and sprightly uh, young advanced ones. Uh, we can all kind of benefit from automating these tasks. And to me, it's really a tooling problem. Uh, these folks are doing it anyway, but it's Excel macros or things like that. It's, it's helping them use uh, higher leverage tools. Okay, so I'll let Stuart have the last comment of the show. Excellent. So I just want to piggyback on what you just said, Drew, which is the throw it over the fence thing. If there's one thing that you can sort of describe um, a traditional team, it is with a lot of fences and um, a lot of people sitting and waiting for things to come over fences so that they can throw them over uh, downstream fences, right? And I think that the idea that now, I think there will be some traditional enterprises that are going to balk at what I'm about to say, but the idea that an analyst could get into a Git repo and fix a little piece of logic somewhere that is wrong, right? Now, of course, um, in the Git flow process, you can have, uh, you know, reviewers and all of that, but that is something that's absolutely impossible in old tools. They don't know how to open the old tool. They don't, they're not allowed to in a lot of cases. And there's, there's no way for them to really comment on or describe the problem. So there's documents and requirements documents and all these things that are generated and built so that these two teams can communicate with one another about what is probably an incorrect where clause at the end of the day, right? So that the idea that an analyst who knows SQL and has learned Git, and I think anyone can do that, by the way, maybe they don't come to the table with those skills, could get into a pull request and, and comment on it or actually check it out, make the change, submit it, open a pull request and let uh, a, a more senior developer say, no, that's not it. But still let them, um, you know, suspect that might be the problem and, and flag it in, in that way, I think is a really valuable thing. It's the idea that an analyst can participate and an ETL developer can, can participate participate in the analysis as well. And I think maybe these two roles start to blend. Um, and um, so th for me, that's, that's really where it, where it goes. Mark, you said the last word. I got one last thing to say, I promise. And that is, I just wanted to, uh, you know, for all of the Oracle data integrator people that might be listening, we've written a um, Oracle data integrator to DBT conversion utility. We've used it with one customer so far. So we're interested in testing it with some others. And if that interests you, we would love to um, help you out with that. Fantastic. So Stuart, where would people, how, how people find out more about this, uh, this utility then and about Red Pill? We haven't put it on our website yet because it's, it's like a week old. So we, we've uh, used it with one customer. It's converted all their, all their ODI mappings to DBT models. Uh, so it's not there yet. We, it'll be there soon. They can obviously reach out to me. Um, they can find me in the show notes. I'd love to talk to them about it. We're going to have a marketing blitz about it uh, at a certain point. And the folks at Snowflake are super excited about it as well. So they're going to eventually be talking about it, is my understanding. Fantastic. And Drew, how do people find out more about DBT? Oh, yeah. Check us out at uh, getdbt.com or github.com slash fishtownanalytics slash dbt uh or follow me on twitter i'm at drew manon uh i mostly tweet about dbt these days fantastic well, it's been great having you both on the show really really interesting thank you so much and um yeah great to have you and um speak soon thanks mark thanks mark